You're listening to Impact Sports Radio, and this is Behind the Mask. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Behind the Mask. I'm Ryan Rodosovich alongside the crew, of course, Cameron McLaren and Jacob Stenson. We are back from break. Sorry about our hiatus. Uh, we traveled home, had some good break time, but now we're back. We're on the beat. We're grinding out some work, some stories, and we're going to be covering some games. It's good to be back. It's good to be saying these words again. And gentlemen, how are you guys doing today? Doing good. Um, it's nice to be back in the studio. Um, it's just been, it's been a long break. It feels like it's been forever, which it really has. Um, so yeah, in, in, excited to get back to some Michigan State hockey uh, and see where the second half of the season takes us. Yeah, and it's kind of pretty refreshing to be able to record a podcast while the sun is still out because we usually record these like Wednesday nights. Here it is, 3.27 on a Wednesday afternoon. This is kind of refreshing. It's like a beautiful sip of water from like a glacier so, or from a glacial lake. So I like the imagery. I know, right? Just beautiful sunset. And then just, just think of Ice Age before all the tomfoolery. Okay, so getting back into the swing of things, this is going to be a long pod, so buckle up, strap in, because we got a lot to talk about. But first, we'll take a look around the Big Ten. Right now, Minnesota taking the top spot in the Big Ten, overcoming Michigan. They're number eight ranked nationally. Michigan still ranked above them at nationally, though, at fourth. Uh, third in the Big Ten, Notre Dame. They are ranked 13th. Fourth in the Big Ten is the 16th ranked Buckeyes, followed by Michigan State. Wisconsin overtaking Penn State for the last spot, so a little bit of shakeup in the standings, but nothing too major, nothing like, you know, team jumping two spots or anything. We did have a lot of games over the past couple weeks we missed, but nothing too crazy in the standings, just a little bit of changes. So uh, Penn State also receiving votes, which that's kind of surprising after the start they had to the season, but nonetheless, that's the look in the Big Ten. We got some games to talk about, gentlemen. The GLI showcase happened, and it, uh, I mean happened iffy for Michigan State and then for Michigan gosh I mean they uh they dodged one of the games against Western <laughs> Michigan and then they go zero to zero against Michigan Tech I mean that was an interesting weekend for them there I just never understood that whole situation with Michigan because and it doesn't help that the Wolverines whole like athletic department just didn't clarify anything they just said health and safety protocols and then just went like radio silent the rest of the rest of the time it was just, it made no sense, especially because the whole reason they played Michigan Tech the night before, uh, the, the night before the Western game, even though they announced it, it on like that Monday. Uh, so that, like, I think they, it was a day before or two days before the game. So yeah, right. it would be so, Monday. Like, so they played, so like, yeah, they, they announced that they postponed the Western game uh, on Monday. That game was scheduled for Thursday. And then Wednesday night, they p- still play Michigan Tech. Yeah. <laughs> and skate with a two as scoreless tie on that too. Well, the the thing is, is that if we take a look at it, there are a few a few things that come into play. Number one, World Juniors. They had what five guys, five guys out. Pasajov, Samuskevich, and Beniers. No, was Beniers gone? Well, Beniers was gone. Johnson was gone. I'm trying to think of the fifth one because there was two on Canada. Was Power still eligible? Power. Power yeah. So it's they had three for Team USA and then two for. Canada. Which rest in peace World Juniors too. Yeah, RIP World Ugh. Juniors. So like that happened immediately, I think Wednesday night too. I think it happened the 29th because mm. I was watching like I watched USA versus uh, Slovakia. So that was a pretty fun game. Uh, But yeah, they have that. And then 
the Michigan Athletic Department has just done its own thing in the past few weeks since we've gotten back to campus. Yes. Um, case in point, the MSU Michigan basketball game that was supposed to happen last Saturday. But I mean, the thing is, is that you're not going to get a lot of, you know, confirmation and conversation between these athletic departments, especially when, you know, COVID matters do come into play. But to me, I don't, I understood the decision of they didn't have enough scholarship players or they didn't have enough players to be able to, I mean, you know, when you play a back-to-back in hockey, it's, it's a tough stretch. Even, even when the pros do it, they, they hate it, especially when you have to travel in between. This time they didn't have to travel in between, but these are college players in the midst of a global pandemic. I understand the decision not to play, but the way that they did it just, to me, didn't necessarily sit right with the, you know, the general classification of health and safety protocols. And Mich- I think it was Michigan Tech, one of their newspapers did not, they, they, they sounded off. And it was a pretty interesting read, if I remember correctly. I just remember seeing on Twitter, and that's the thing too, is like, I, when you do something like that, it op- the way it was all handled by Michigan, I think it just it opens you up to just get absolutely eviscerated online uh, and by fans and whatnot. But I remember a, a specific Western player. I think it was Ethan Frank. So like one of their best player uh, was like basically saying the exact same thing that I just said of like, why are you still playing the night before then? Um, and so it just, I don't know, it just makes no sense. And it really, Michigan is not doing themselves any favors by not clarifying the situation or anything like that. Um, so, But, I mean, good for them for still going out the night before and playing to a 0-0 scoreless tie against Tech, you know, while while Western Michigan was slightly beating up on uh, Michigan State. I wouldn't say beating up. Slightly. That's why I said slightly. Okay. And, hey, let's just jump right into that game. So the first perfect game segment. of GLI. Yes, that was perfect. The 10 out of 10. Beautiful. But uh, first game in the GLI showcase, uh, Michigan State took on number three, Western Michigan. My opinion, it was a very hard-fought game. It didn't seem like the score justified how close of a game it was. It end, it did end 3-1. to one. But uh, Western Michigan went up 2-0 to zero early. Uh, Nicholas Mueller actually had a penalty shot, the first one that MSU's attempted since 2017. So... There's a little uh, history broken right there, I guess. But uh, he didn't make it. Freshman David Gucciardi did open the scoring up for MSU midway through the second on the power play. And then it was 2-1 to one for a while. MSU just couldn't get the equalizer. They pull DeRitter, and then Western puts a nail in the coffin of the empty net goal. DeRitter makes 35 out of 37 saves. And hard-fought game, but Western Michigan, the better team, takes the win. What you guys have there, gentlemen? I mean... They had a very good chance to think to pull off this upset. I didn't expect it at all, but I think they just they just the same thing happened in this game that I thought happened in the second game against Michigan earlier this year. Um, they just got they shot themselves in the foot early and got you know go down early. It gives you all the makings of oh this is going to be a blowout. This isn't good, uh, and they man- they managed to keep it close, bear in, settle down a little bit. And they get to start playing their game. They come back, but just not close enough. Just not, just not enough. They kind of run out of time in that regard. Um, and so I think just the same thing happened there. It's and so that's going to be the key, or that was the key, and why they lost is just they came out of the gates a bit flat, uh, and didn't wasn't they weren't able to settle into the game that they like to play. And Western was able to take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean that's kind of been the case in a lot of Michigan State's losses this season is just they ran out of time they they don't 
get going good enough or, you know, maybe it's not the way that they want it. But, I mean, you take a look. Going into the third period, they were out. They were being outshot 31-18. to 18, And they're able to close that gap a little bit in the third. I mean, they had 12 shots in the second, 11 shots in the third, but six, only six in the first. So you go down, I'm pretty sure you go down one nothing going into the first. You give up a goal immediately into the second period. And then you, you rely on the power play to get you back in the game. And then you can't convert on the power play later in the game when they had a too many men on the ice penalty. And then you have another penalty happening at the beginning of the third, excuse me. But it's just the power play has been the bane of, it, of Michigan State's existence because when it's on, it's it's on. And it's beautiful. It's majestic. It works. And they've been able to, you know, win games off of it. But sometimes you just you can't rely. You can't be a um, a one trick pony. And to me, they just they ran out of time. Western played like the number four team in the nation at that point. They move up after that, and they played like a team that knew that they weren't going to play tomorrow. So they put every they put all their eggs in one basket, and they went for it. And they ended up beating Michigan State three to one. But it was a good showing by Michigan State in that game. It it showed a lot of people that you know what this team can fight. And keep them keep themselves in the game. So, so that wraps up game one of the GLI showcase. Uh, Michigan State drops it to Western Michigan three one. Moving on to game two, Michigan State takes on number eighteen Michigan Tech in their own barn. It was a very back and forth game. Each goal MSU scored, Tech answered pretty much right away. Uh, Gucciardi opened up the scoring for his second goal on the weekend, and then Nader gets his first goal since November thirteenth against Ferris. So. Props to Nader there. After 60 minutes, the game was tied up at 2. Tech had 45 shots in those 60 minutes, and we head to overtime where Gucciardi ends it with a literal sports center top 10 goal, putting it between his legs and going glove side on goalie Blake Patella. I wish we could, like, hey, watch this video right now. Just, like, we're, we're on a podcast, but I wish I could just show you the video right now. Go on MSU's hockey Twitter, scroll down a bit, you'll see it. It is... It is a beautiful looking goal. And if I can remember correctly, Sazana did the same thing. Was it against Air Force Academy? It was Air Force. It was yep. Air Force. So it was like, the five one game. <laughs> so I wanna I wanna ask Gucciardi, did uh did you know that before you came to MSU or did Sazana teach you that? Because like to do that in an overtime to end the game, oh man, what a what a beautiful goal. Did you guys happen to see it? Yeah, and I watched it. Um it was just it was funny because from the angle I saw it, like I was just because I was just watching it. Um streaming i wasn't at the game obviously i was at home but um yeah i i didn't i couldn't even tell that it went like between his legs at first i thought he just kind of so regular fast. forehand shot up in the top corner um but yeah just you have to kind of watch the replay of it it's how he's able to get that off and like put it in such a perfect spot is just um fantastic I mean, he also acted like Moses and just parted the Red Seas. I mean, it, it was he. There was no defender around him after a split second. He just got the puck right at the blue line, just skates past everybody. Mind you, there's only three people on the ice, but still. And then goes between the legs. I was not at the game. I was not watching the game either. I was current. I was praying that Michigan State would pull off a victory in the Peach Bowl. I was in Atlanta. I was Rightfully in Atlanta, so. but not really in Atlanta mentally not okay understandable understandable yes but yeah i saw that goal and i was like okay here we go 
Michigan State goes one and one in the GLI, and you know they get a game that they needed against the top twenty opponent, which is good for future reference. <clears throat> Pairwise, and I hate saying that word. Um, yeah, it's it's good that they got a, a ranked another ranked win. Yeah, and one of the things I talked about too that I specifically wrote in the preview of the following of the Minnesota series that came after this game um, was really just about how much the defensemen have been able to kind of jump into the rush and get involved with the scoring. Uh, and I, I just use that Gucciardi goal as just kind of the, you know, the most obvious example of it. Um, and it's just, it's really nice to see, because I think going into that Minnesota series, I think it was Michigan State had, had gotten a goal from a defenseman in like six of the last seven games. Um, a few from Sasana, a few from the Kriegers, a couple from Gucciardi now. Um and so that's something I think that's also just really important too, uh, just because it, it adds such a different dynamic to your team. Um, I, in that specific article, I, it was funny because I name-checked um, two defensemen that move the puck really well in the NHL, Kale McCarr and Adam Fox, the ones I specifically mentioned. And it was funny, the day that article went live, um, Kale McCarr had that one like unreal oh, highlight oh, goal the, against the Blackhawks yeah. where it's like, breaks the defender's ankles, then goes in, cuts to like on the short side and just snaps snipes it in the top corner right above the glove rest in peace kirby doc and his ankles yes exactly it was just oh man oh, he sent i just thought it was cleaners. i just thought it was just so funny but either way it's but things like that when you can have a defenseman that you can actually go to to, to generate offense to and make get on both sides of the ice it just adds such a different dynamic to your team there's a better synergy with this team than there was last year especially with defenseman scoring because like it's just you see it in practice and you see it in games that defensemen joining on the rush is something that they actively have been trying to do this year. That's what Michigan State's been actively doing. You see the Krieger goal against Michigan, I think, in the first Michigan game. Accurate example of a defenseman getting in on the rush. Instead of being F3, you have a defenseman. <laughs> and it's, okay, you know what? You still have enough... You have enough trust in your forward that isn't necessarily on the rush to be that man back and and then you also have that trust of having that defender join in on the rush that they can actually score they could set up plays or they can act like a gigantic jagger joshua 2.0 and be a wrecking ball so for me it's just it's been a different team in terms of synergy with how this team is going up on the rush who's going in on the rush and then namely i think that defenseman scoring is a much better positive than, you know, a like it gives you the same amount of energy as a fourth line or a third line scoring. Because it's a different it's a different energy because it's it's not all riding on the guys who have an F or a, an LW an RW or a C, guys who, you know, the sh the shorter sticks, the 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 less stiff sticks, the faster guys, you know, not maybe that's the some of the shorter guys and not necessarily tall. Basically guys with a different ability who are meant to score goals takes a lot of pressure off of them knowing that they have somebody else who's not basically known to score goals that can actually do it. Mm -hmm. So to me, I think it's a bigger shot in the arm of, okay, you're in this game, defenseman scores, now you're really into this game. You have a lot more confidence, especially as a team. I think the best sports analogy I can make about, I can think kind of about it, is um, the idea of like a quarterback who can, who can also run the ball really well. Um, think about like a Lamar Jackson or like even or like a Russell Wilson or someone like that. Um, compare that to a guy like a Tom Brady or someone like that. Tom Brady is not going to beat you with his uh, feet. Yeah, he's he's only he has one thing that he does that is throw the ball. 
He does it very well, yes. But um, it's a little, it's somewhat easier to game plan against for quarterbacks. Tom Brady, a bad example. But, yeah. <laughs> but like a quarterback, that, go. a random quarterback that can't move um, versus one that can. An Eli Manning, a Peyton Manning. Exactly. Sure. Eli Any Manning besides Arch. Sure. Um, it's a little easier to game plan for them as opposed to someone like a Russell Wilson or a Patrick Mahomes on an offense because you know there's a threat there of, oh, this guy can also run. This It, it just opens up the offense there so much more because you can call you can call plays that you know this guy is going to be able to do this as well it just adds a whole other dimension to the game that teams have to account for it's another head that you have to chop off the dragon or the hydra in this and this instance and exactly. then and then when you actually get that goal if we're going to keep going back into football terms it's the same amount of you know euphoria as a big man touchdown yeah big man you know TV. a big rumble stumble to the end zone yes that's the same energy that happens whenever a defenseman scores because, yeah. I mean, you, you take a look at some of the celebrations. When Krieger scores that goal against Michigan in the first game in Ann Arbor, that's a gigantic celebration. So, case in point, big shot in the arm. Defenseman scoring, a must. Yeah, and I got to chirp in a little bit on this too because offensive defensemen are sneakily my second favorite type of people on the ice. Goalies first because, you know, I, I've been a goalie. I like goalies. Love watching them. But defensive or offensive defensemen are my favorite skaters out there to watch because, like you guys said, there it's a different element that you got to watch out for. I love watching Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, Haskinen, all those guys bringing other elements of the game. It's like a dark horse. It's it's a forward that could or it's a defenseman that could act as a forward that could go in there and create that goal. And like you said, Cam, the energy that comes off of it, like when Krieger scores, it's just like it's his first goal in a while. The team's pumped. They're like, okay, we got a goal from our back line. Now let's now let's win the game for him. Now let's win the game for DeRitter, for Charleston Net, for the defenseman that scored. And the reason why I love watching on MSU is because MSU has Sazana. They got Nash Neenhouse, who we'll talk about in a second. He's offensive, but he hasn't shown it too much. And now we got Gucciardi that just right out of nowhere is going off. So so it's just it's it's fun to watch MSU with these offensive defensemen and uh and hey, I got a little bit more to talk about. Gucciardi with that three goal weekend becomes the Big Ten first star of the week. So congrats there. That's what's up. And yeah, the second ahead. second time in a row, then I think that an MSU player got first star of the week because DeRitter got it the week before, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That's that's what's up right there. A good end of uh January or no end of January. the calendar. A year. good end of the calendar year. There, there we, we go. go. And speaking of DeRitter, he did start his third game straight at the Tech game. He went 43 saves out of 45 shots, and now sits fourth in the country of save percentage at 942. That's a very, very nice save percentage. And he, uh, the fun fact about Drew DeRitter's uh, point-getting ability, he actually got a secondary assist on Gucciardi's OT winner. That's the second straight OT win where DeRitter's gotten the secondary assist. So, like, yeah, just a fun fact. Why not put that out there? He's on the ice for a reason. He's a playmaker. Yeah. Playmaker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if fun. goalies can affect the play, then they deserve to sit their own penalties. He said no one ever. <laughs> so the recipe to win for MSU is get to overtime, get DeRitter the puck. Give it to DeRitter. That, yeah, and then DeRitter is just going to find a pass that'll go off another pass and score. Boom. Easy peasy, right? <laughs> um, MSU went 7 for 7 in penalty kills for the GLI showcase, so their penalty kill showing true. And uh, that's that's pretty much the whole GLI wrapped up in there. We took a took a bit of a second, but any any closing thoughts on that, gentlemen? No, I think that's about like kind of the 
what I what I expected from the from the GL, I expected them to go one and one in that. Um, I think that Michigan Tech game did help the resume a little bit. Um, would have built some momentum going into the Minnesota series, but we'll, we'll get into that here in a minute. Yeah, great segue into it. Game one for the Minnesota series, the new calendar year for the Spartans, starting off the year with a 1-4 loss. Not much to talk about here. Minnesota scored too early in the first and didn't look back. Nash Dean House, though, for the Spartans, did score his first in green and white. So congratulations, Nash. It's somebody that I harped on last year as like I, I saw his offensive game. It just it just didn't equate to points. And now he finally gets his first. So good job, Neenhouse there. Uh, MSU was outshot 36 to 25. And MSU held the fifth best power play that Minnesota had to zero goals on their four tries in this game. And that made it the 14th consecutive uh, penalty kill in a row by the Spartans. So the penalty kill is something definitely to rely on and look at moving forward. What do you guys have on this game one here? So the thing is with that power play stat that you just mentioned, the issue with that is you still went to the, you still went to the PK four times. Even if they don't, that doesn't result in goals on the penalty kill or on the power play of Minnesota, I guess. That still affects the team. That wears your team down over the course of a game. And so even if you're playing at full strength, you're not playing at 100% uh, energy with all your players because those same players just got off the penalty kill against a team as talented as Minnesota. So it really just, it's one of those things where it's like you can't get in the box that much, I don't think, um, especially against the more dangerous teams like Minnesota. Because if, if you do, you're just you're handicapping yourself in that. You're, you're shooting yourself in the foot, um, and you're kind of having to fight an uphill battle, I guess is the right word for that. So that would be the main thing, I think, really, out of that. That and also it's hard to win when you allow 36 shots on goal. Simple as that. Yeah, I mean, you take a look at the scoring summary because uh, I remember this game vividly because uh, I did not realize that my parents had BTN or Big Ten Network until, like, after the first goal was scored. So for me, it's important to note that Neenhouse's goal was a huge turning point for Michigan State if they could have rode the momentum. And for Michigan State, for some reason, they love scoring goals within five minutes of each other. And we'll, we'll talk about the five-minute, you know, rule uh, when we get into game two. But for me, it's six, you with less than five minutes left, with less than four technically, Neenhouse scores. It's a two-to-one game. And then they, they're able to ride the wave a little bit. And then Ben Myers just puts the entire – I think this was the goal that Myers just – he just went commando and just scored, made it three-to-one – and then I think the fourth goal was the wacky one that was up in the air. It went off of a Michigan State player into the back of the net. Technically should have been a goal for Myers. Should have been a hat trick with like 16-20 or with, with 340 left in the third to make it a 4-1 to game. Because Michigan State was clawing their way back. They got penalty kills and then they clawed their way back and they looked good. They just couldn't Ooh. execute. Okay. They couldn't get that final, that goal to make it a, a one-goal game or to even tie the game in the second. It just, they couldn't get it done. And that's that's what happens. Good teams win against good op- opposition. And that's what Minnesota was able to do. They just shut it down. Uh, LaFontaine looked very well in his second-to-last game as a Minnesota Golden Gopher. Uh, took a, took one in the chops from Jagger Joshua on the, the charging the goalie. Um, I have no clue what... Jagger's supposed to do in that situation. Yeah, just defend uh, the I, I agree with call. the two-minute penalty. 
um, if there was one that they called, because they did, they reviewed it. I agree with the two, not a five. Mm-hmm. No malicious intent there. It's a yellow card, not a red. Double see, Jeopardy. Let him do his thing. It's Sagar Joshua. My thing is, I don't that even know is if his I thing. see. My thing is, I don't even know if I agreed that was a that should be a penalty. To I don't begin think with. it wasn't anyway. I, but I, since I, they called it, I was fine with the two minute instead my, of the five. It's my thing was this. The goalie. That's my why thing. They is this it. is what exactly is the um. Is Jagger Josh supposed to do in that case? Nothing. There's nothing exactly. he can do because exactly. at the point at the point yeah. of contact, he is still, I mean, two inches away from touching that puck once LaFontaine has it. And whenever whenever um Joshua sees that, he turns his body in a way that would show that he's not meaning to go out to, to hit him. He turn he turns his body instead of going into the goalie or straight in his because he was going forward, he could have went right. In terms of where LaFontaine was, he was on his right shoulder. So he could have went into the goalie, which would have made malicious intent. He could have went continue going straight. But if you look from the back angle, he shifts his right skate. He's turning to the left. He's still trying to go for the puck, but he's turning to the left. He knows the contact's coming. He lowers himself to where he doesn't make contact with the head. And he also lowers his shoulder of to protect himself. Not in any malicious way. Basically, I... If you're gonna, if you call the play dead, which you kind of have to, because it's a goalie, whatever, it's a it's goalie down, yes. man down. So I agree. If you're gonna call the penalty, you go to review, which they did. They deemed it was only a two minute charge. Which look at the replay. You know, take a look at how many skates he has. Did he go in too fast? Well, he's going for the puck. Yeah. So for me, I don't know what he's supposed to do in that situation. He gets the two minutes. They don't score on the power play. I'm pretty sure. And you go from there. But it's just, to me, I don't know what he's supposed to do in that situation. But it doesn't take away from the fact that Ben Myers basically single-handedly won that game for Minnesota. Oh, going back one last time to the LaFontaine thing, my take on it is more is this. I treat goalies a lot like I would, keeping talking on football references, I, I treat goalies a lot like I would treat quarterbacks in football. There's yep. already a ton of rules to protect them mm-hmm. and make sure that they don't get hurt. Um, when LaFontaine leaves his crease that far out, because remember, he's he's going past the face-off dot uh, in his he, own He's zone. between he's the like, end of the face-off circle and the blue line. He's yeah. halfway. Exactly. If he's that far out of his crease, I, I would equate that to pretty much like a quarterback scrambling outside of the pocket and trying to run the ball. Um, there's not like an op- – like if he's – there is a certain amount of risk that – Quarterbacks and goalies would both take leaving their, you know, respective areas that far and go out and doing that much. If you guys are both going for the puck, I feel like it'd be fine just be treated like any other player out there. There's no, like if you're going that far out, all the special protections and stuff like that should also be out. The only problem is, is that you can treat it like football, but in correlation, soccer and hockey have a lot in common. If you, if you take a look at it, not necessarily from an analytical, but from like a strategical uh, emphasis or a strategical you know point of view, in that case, it's no matter what. In that case, if there if these are two soccer players, Joshua sent off immediately. It's it's reckless. He's going in there way too fast. He, I mean, but the thing is, is that he's going for the ball, but he doesn't get the ball. That's the problem. If he touches the puck in that situation. I don't think it's a penalty, but he doesn't touch the puck. He still goes after the Ritter, but at the same time, in hockey, you're allowed that extra split, set, that extra one 
possibly two seconds to finish your check. But it's a goaltender. There's different rules. To me, I was fine with it. I mean, we would be talking about this a lot more. I don't, I don't think we should be talking about it as much as we have been because it didn't really have that much of an impact on the game. LaFontaine stood on his head after standing up to Jagger Joshua. Yeah, LaFontaine was fine and after it, that. It was good, but it's just, to me, I have no clue what goes on in that situation, and that's something that like all three of us, especially us broadcasters, need to know of. Okay, wh- where where's the where's the gray area? So, but to me, as we, you know, put a cap on this one, Ben Myers is the main reason Minnesota wins that game. Oh, yeah. So, moving on to game two. Looked like a good start for MSU. They uh, jump out to a two-goal lead thanks to Middendorf and Davidson scoring his ninth tally on the power play. So, early 2-0 lead. MSU then pushes it to a 3-1 lead off a second from Middendorf. And this is probably where you wanted to say... Hey, I got to go do something. It's been a good game so far. I'm just going to, you know, walk the dog, turn off the TV, something. Because after that, it was not pretty. Five minutes of game time pass. Minnesota scores four goals between the end of the second and the beginning of the third. And then they end up running away if it winning 6-3. So 2-0 lead for MSU turns into a 6-3 loss. Not looking too good. But the question, or I guess, I guess a question I got from this is, because of game one, because of the 1-4 loss in game one, uh, Danton Cole switched up some of the lines a bit. Uh, he put Jesse Tucker with Middendorf, and they were able to score two goals, and uh, Tucker assisted both of the Middendorf goals. So do you see enough from that change to switch up the lines at all, or is this just Cole seeing a 1-4 loss, putting the pr- pr- uh, pressing the blender button on the lines, and just something happens? What, what, do you get? what do you guys think? I mean, I wouldn't be entirely surprised to see it uh, maybe give it like another game try, uh, just to see exactly how it works. Um, because I mean, if they have chemistry, they have chemistry. That's the most important thing when you're setting lines is you want the, all these players to be able to kind of communicate effectively, be on the same page so that they can move the puck around as well as possible and get some goals. Complimentary games. Yeah, exactly. And that's how it seemed to work, at least in the first half of that, um, of that game against Minnesota before they started pulling their best golden state warriors impression, um, and blowing a three, one lead. Mm-hmm. So I just I I would give it another try um just to see but yeah that that whole situation is not the reason that MSU had nothing to do with MSU losing this game. I should say one thing. I should have prefaced that question with Lewandowski was out. Did he get injured in the he tech game? He re-injured the injury that he had that kept him out of the Lowell Lowell series. Yeah. Okay, so because Lewandowski was out... He re-injured it against Tech. Okay. And that's a week... It's a week later, so yes. It's not enough for him to get right enough to play in the Minnesota series. Mm -hmm. So do you have anything on that? Do you think he should stick with it or just go back to the regular lineup once Lewandowski comes back? If Lewandowski comes back, Lewandowski's been on the third line, I think, all year. Uh, if I remember correctly, because he's on the left side. To me, I still think that this is a this was a move of given who Danton Cole has and who has shown up this year, you need to put complementary pieces together with people that you know can score. Middendorf gets what two goals in that game mm-hmm. against Minnesota. He's playing with Jesse Tucker, known assist magician. 
known assist magician. I mean, you so don't you don't have magician? you don't have eighty assists for the Green Bay Gamblers in the USHL for nothing, and you have their their record book. Your name is on there, especially them on the power play too. I think there was like twenty four of them. Um, and then you have Jeremy Davidson, known goal scorer this year. Then you take a look down the line, and it's a lot of okay, mix and match people that you know can do certain things. Jagger, Do- Jagger Joshua, good net front presence, plays the left wing on that second line. The second line pretty much goes unchanged of Joshua Mueller and Hodges. They need to get more point production from them. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just gonna say that there. They have been. Pretty you you silent. can't just rely on your first power. You can't just rely on the power play and your first line. Third line, Lockrin moves all the way down to the th- uh the third right wing position with good sir and pap. That's a good line in my opinion. It's a very good line. And then you have Haskins, Nadler and Kelly. That's also a good line if you take a look at what those guys bring to the table. It's just when you take a look at that game, it worked and then it didn't. And we talk about Michigan State's scoring in 5 minute spurts. Well, they got scored on in a 5 minute spurt. 5 minutes and 3 seconds. They gave up five goals. And where those goals came from was, I'm going to go all the way back. Chad Lucius on the power play makes it two to one going into the second, going into the first intermission. He scores with under two minutes left. That's a goal you can't give up, especially on the power play. That's a big goal for them there too. Especially on the power play because that was their third power play of that first period. You are are messing with fire. When you play with fire, you're going to get burned eventually. And that's what happened. You take three penalties in the first, you're going to give up on one. Even if you've been good all year, you were seven for seven in a week prior, and I think they were perfect the night before. At some point, the levy's gonna break. Mind you, it didn't for the rest of the game, but still, that's a goal that you can't really give up whenever you have a two nothing lead halfway through the first period against the top ten opponent, and then you score to make it three to one, and then the wheels break down. And some of those goals were hecka freaky. They were they were just the freakiest among freaky. Puck bounces off the boards, off a skate, off a chest of Lochran and into the back of the net. You know, there's some when things aren't going right, it's it's Murphy's Law. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. The calamity of errors happen. They give up five goals. No. Four. F- four goals yeah. in five minutes. And they were scored at with less than two minutes in the second. With just over a minute left in the second, 22 seconds into the third, and then 3.06 into the third. All by four different people. And who who started it? Ben Myers. Who I think had four or five goals heading into the series. He had himself a series. That's, he only had, wow. I, he I he did not have a lot out. of, he did not have a lot. I remember because he was near the top in points, but not in goals. I'm looking at it right now. Only five goals. Wow. He was. Yeah, he had himself a weekend. He was third on the team, tied third with Chaz Lucius. He was top in points, but he only had five goals. Mm. So for me, Ben Myers starts it, and Michigan State just the the wheels fall off. A calamity of errors happens. They they allow four goals in five minutes, and then the last goal that they gave up was something that I'm pretty sure Denton Cole was not too happy about giving up. You get it. It's a five three game, but to make it six three, and it just. I forgot who was on the ice. I think Tucker got walked a little bit. That's just, it's something that happens against a player that has more experience on you. 
And I, I, I can't blame Tucker for what he tried to do there. But Ben Myers just goes in. Exclamation point with 50 seconds left. 6-3. See you later, son. Yeah, MSU outshot 60 to 24 in that game. That also can't happen. That can't happen. There's a reason why it was up to 60. MSU actually had seven penalties called on them to Minnesota's one. So they were down a man 12 minutes in that game. And Minnesota being good on the power play, of course, is going to just pepper shots. But still, 60 to 24, you cannot let that happen. No shot, no chance. Charles, go ahead. Even then, taking a look at it, they only had 12 shots on the power play. That's it, really? Yeah, according wow, to MSU so they were just, stats. MSU was getting housed on so it's five still, on five. That's still 48 to 24. Actually, it's 48 to 22. They had two shots on the power play goal that Michigan State scored. 48, five on 48 five. 48 to 22. 48, five on five goals. In... Or 48, five, five, five on five shots. Five, 48, five on five goals. Whew. Yeah, 48, five on five shots in 48 minutes. That's a shot per minute during that game when they were on five on five. Wow, that is, yeah. Uh, Cole should have been in every single MSU skater's ears after that game because that's not too good there. But um, Charleston, though, he did make his first start. Did you have something, Jacob? Did I miss you there? Oh, no, sorry. Okay, sweet, sweet. But Charleston did make his first start in this 6-3 loss to Minnesota since uh, December 10th against Notre Dame. He made 54 out of 60 saves. Making 54 saves is good enough to give you the most saves in D1 this season, but... Still, uh, 60 shots, like, you can't really ask your goalie for much more than that. Uh, this was the only, or the second time MSU's been swept in a season, or over the season. Michigan was the other one. We don't need to talk about that. And some breaking news, I guess we could, I mean, it's not really breaking anymore, but some news we could drop on the podcast. After these two wins, Captain Goalie for the Minnesota Goldie Gophers, Jack LaFontaine, said, I'm out. I'm signing with the Carolina Hurricanes, and that is my last college series. So congrats to him, and he kind of leaves his team in a really weird spot in the season, but he is he is moving out. And anything on that? That's kind of weird. I just never I just don't get why. It just doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I guess go get that bag, of course, but like Yeah, I guess get I, it. <laughs> I don't I just don't they don't the Hurricanes don't really need a goalie right now. Like Freddie Anderson's doing great for them. I guess you could say, like, what happens if, you know, like, I guess Anderson goes into COVID protocols or gets hurt or something like that, something bad happens. But, like, as for now, um, like, just doesn't make sense. Plus, I mean, they also really wouldn't be in this place if they had kept... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let, kept let's, let's address the elephant in yep. the room there. If they didn't let Steve Eiserman fleece them for Nadelkovich... Yep. They wouldn't be in this in this position That's... because we all follow three different teams. You follow the Blues, Ryan. You follow the Red Wings. Good for you for getting Nodelkovich. Yes. I follow the Stars. The Stars have three capable goalies, and Braden Holpe, as of today, was put or as of yesterday was put in a COVID protocol. They bring back Anton Hudobin, and they also have Jake Ottinger. Hudobin's been in the AHL for the past two to three, I think, probably I think three weeks, and they've had they've been running Ottinger and Holpe. To me, I don't know this, the Carolina goalie situation, but if they keep Nadelkovich, they're not in this position. They don't have to get LaFontaine from Minnesota halfway through his collegiate season when he's on his way to possibly winning another Big Ten title and maybe pushing Minnesota into the national championship con- conversation. Possibly. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. But to me, this all stems from the, N- the N- 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 Nadelkovich trade. Sorry, a lot of saliva. 
I just I don't understand why Carolina gives up a Calder finalist, top three, yep, in the NHL, and best I mean, rookie goalie, best rookie goalie. They give him up to Detroit for Bernier, who walks, and yep. a second, third, a third round pick, a third, a mid third. They're not in this. Com- they're not in this predicament if that happen if they don't go for that trade. So good for LaFontaine. Yes, money. Yes, big man. Go get your money. But Carolina puts themselves in this situation to where Jack LaFontaine says, okay, I'm going to get my degree online, I guess. He's going to follow the, who was it, Ryan McDonough, who was taking classes at Wisconsin <laughs> at one point while, st- oh, yeah. while, I'm pretty sure, while yeah. still playing for uh, Tampa. So See, and like I'm, I'm just, just for verification, I was curious because, yes, okay, so their backup goal is Auntie Ranta. Who's no. decent? No, which okay. wait, no. hold up. That's what, I got that's no, what I shows, but that's what's most wait. play games on the on the hurricane. I gotta backpedal real quick. Carolina also had Peter Morazic. Their goalie room was Peter Morazic and Nedeljkovic at the end of last season. They shipped both of those guys out, and the goalie they got a return for Nedeljkovic also walked in uh, Bernier. So well, like they're, they're their starting goalie go- room god after well, the last but, season. And Toronto's never been a one A. No. He's never been a 1A. Well, Even I'm when he was backup. in New York, he well, wasn't no, I'm a not, 1A. I'm not, no, he's the backup right now. He's the backup right now. Uh, that's what I was, gonna, what I was mentioning. Their current 1A has been great for them this year. Freddie Anderson has been on another Which, level. That Look, also off, was a shot in the dark, too. That, wasn't that was a shot like, in the dark, but that's paid off yes, incredibly well for the Hurricanes. Luckily for them. Oh reading the, I'm just reading off the stats here. He's 18-5 and five in, his, all, in his starts wow. uh, with a 1.96 goals against and a 9.29 save percentage. So somebody needs to check what the uh, so what I, is it, the Albany Checkers? Sure. No, it's the Charlotte Checkers now. <laughs> Charlotte Checkers. It's the Charlotte Checkers. They they used to be the Albany River Rats. Sorry. All right. But they need sure. to check. <laughs> they need to check common that. mistake. It's okay. They man. need to check their <laughs> AHL program because you know if one of their, I mean, Ronta goes into COVID protocol or or worse, Freddie Anderson. I'm not so worried about Anti Ronta because I, I, it's Anti Ronta. It's Anti Ronta. <laughs> if 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 you followed the NHL for the past like 15 years, like Anti Ronta. Yeah, has he? I feel like he's been in the he's NHL been for everywhere. Last 15 years. He's been since I started following. Yeah. I mean, he was he was in New York for a little bit. I swear he was at San Jose for at one point. Yep. And then Phoenix at another point. <laughs> he was it? in Phoenix. I, I remember him specifically in Phoenix. Hold on, I will look. <laughs> I need to do the deep dive. I like okay, how we're this deep can't diving be, into this. This can't be right. He's only thirty-two. Yeah, this can't be right. This says he's been no. in the league since twenty thirteen. This can't be right. How it says he's he played for Chicago, yes. the Rangers, yes. the Yotes, and now he's with the with the Canes. I swear he played for San Jose. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, that's why. Either way, when he played for the Yotes, comical. It's the Yotes. Okay, Pop- wait, wait. Yeah. I don't know where we even went off. Oh yeah, Jack Lafontaine. Okay, <laughs> bring it back to the Canes. Let's. let's so. But, okay, so end end of this conversation of we're on agreement that Jack Lafontaine, in every right, has every he has every right to go and get his. NHL minimum 750k. Yes, go yes. get that bag. Go yes. get that bag, big man. But 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 Carolina puts themselves into this position. They shoot themselves in their own foot. They plaxico burst themselves. Go spend two years in jail. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Just because of their their one a goalie has been so good this year. Freddie Anderson's been one of the best goalies in hockey. Maybe they assign him to the taxi squad. Possibly. Maybe Laf- uh, Laffer to the weird... taxi squad. I yeah, can see and, it, but and like you talked about it, like Minnesota's in. Uh, national championship conversation they're ranked eighth they're doing good your 1a just walks on his sure it's his fifth year and he's proven himself he's not having the uh, as great of a year as he had last year but 
So you can still cap. win though. Oh, also, Big Ten if you wanted to update, I forgot to mention Auntie Ranta actually is uh, has an upper body injury as of two days ago and uh, missed the last game against. Them. So maybe that's why. Maybe yeah, Carolina picked this up the phone. Sunday. Hey Jack, we need you, buddy. Quit your college team. Come on, help out the Hurricanes because like oh, just a weird situation. And to walk on your team too. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just take a look at the options. College degree that'll make you know. Okay, yes, to this 60K is logical, a year, but your team, or but your 750K. Team, your boys, you're the captain. Oh, I, I don't know. I just, I couldn't be in that position. Makes for an interesting conversation, like, what, three weeks from now when Michigan, or when Michigan State goes to Minnesota to yeah, play maybe a LaFontaine-less. Who gets the start then for Minnesota then? Is it yeah, LaFontaine's been so good, I don't even know who their backup is. I, I, this up. I think it's Mo. Oh. No, Jared Mo's at Wisconsin now. Oh, I'm I'm dumb. Um, <laughs> Brennan Boynton. Okay, yeah. heard that name. Freshman. No, sorry, Justin Close actually is a junior. He's probably getting more start. Well then, that's that's going to be interesting to see how Minnesota reacts to this predicament in the next three weeks before Michigan State plays them. If yeah, you... maybe Michigan State will actually take a take a game at. Oh, it's a, it's at their yeah, it's at their yeah, place. It's, of course, three M Mariucci, whatever the frick. But anyways, that wraps up all the game coverage that we missed over the break. MSU moves to 11-10-1, fifth in the Big Ten. And we got some games to preview. Finally, it took a while to get to this moment, but uh, Wisconsin or Michigan State travels to Wisconsin, rather. Wisconsin currently sits at last in the Big Ten, 6-13-3 overall. Yikers, uh, last time these two teams met, MSU won 3-2 and 5-2 at Mon Ice Arena. And uh, last year... Wisconsin actually went 4-0 against MSU, so MSU looking for like kind of a little revenge tour. So hopefully MSU could do that. But Wisconsin has been picking up a little bit of traction, if you can, if you want to call it that, if you can call it that. Four of their last five games have gone into overtime. Couple wins, tied, couple losses. So they they have at least been pressuring other teams because earlier in the season they were just dropping games like flies. Uh, Wisconsin has the second worst penalty kill in the nation at 70.2%. So look for MSU to capitalize on that. And Wisconsin also has the least goals scored in the big with 43. So you could talk about whatever you want to talk about. But first, I got a question for you guys. How crucial is it for MSU to sweep the series with like Big Ten tournament implications with this is probably the easy, this is the easiest series to sweep. Looking at their schedule moving forward, it's going to get real tough. How how much does this matter that MSU sweeps it? Well, you said it pretty clearly right there. This is going to be the easiest chance for points that they're going to get pretty much the rest of the way. So it, you got to pick up the gimme games when you got them, um, and that's the that's the key there. You you you're going you're against a Wisconsin team that's only won six games this year. Like you have to get these points, um, especially coming off of. Some brutal games against Minnesota, particularly that second one. Yeah, just for the momentum's sake, if you can just, you know, see, basically, yeah, if you can kind of get a couple wins, see some, see some pucks go in the net, know your team, get back into a little bit of a rhythm, then I think you put yourself in a good position moving forward, uh, with you know series coming up and all that. But yeah, and the implications of dropping one to give Wisconsin their seventh or God willing even eighth win of the year, and just that. Off of that, and then which would cause you to lose four in a row, also at that point. That would be an absolute killer for momentum going forward. So, I think, yeah, this is going to be a big turning point now for MSU, or this is going to help set in motion, I think, what the rest of 2022 is going to look like. 
this is the rant that I kind of went on before the pod even started. And there, there's a few things that you have to hit whenever discussing this. To me, this is the pivotal part of the season because of who they're playing and the time that they're playing. Because, take so if you look at the Big Ten standings right now, Michigan State and Wisconsin are separated by five points going into this weekend. Michigan State sits, they sit fifth. To me, Michigan State, if they really want to challenge in the Big Ten tournament, they need a home playoff game. They they need it. They're tired of going on the road. They're tired of playing Michigan and Michigan to start the Big Ten tournament. They need to be fourth. In in my opinion, this is just my opinion. You could take it with a grain of salt. To give them the best opportunity, yeah. To fourth, give them the best opportunity to be move optimal. forward into the Big Ten tournament and to move up and move into that semifinal where, you know, some games could go either way. To me, so in that in that regard, they're six points behind of Ohio State. They're five points in front of Wisconsin. You drop one game, this gets very close. You drop two, you are it's it's bad. It's not season ending, but it's not good. Because for me, Michigan State so far has yet to go under 500 in any of the months they've played. 4-2 and 1 in October, 4 and 2 in November, 3 and 3 in December. Right now they're 0 and 2 in January. They have four more games in January. If they go 3 and 3, which includes playing Minnesota at home and Ohio State at home, that's fine. You want to go 4 and 2 in this. You want to win the next four games. You have to take it one game at a time, but you want to win the next four games because it's against the teams that are directly below you and the team that is directly in, fr- in front of you. If you finish three and three, it's good. Four and two, that's that's the best case scenario. That's all they can go for right now. You go two and four, questions are going to start. Uh, questions are going to need to be answered because they they need these two games against Wisconsin against the team that they know that they can beat and that they should beat. Mind you, Wisconsin is coming off of a five three loss. I think it's 5-3 in the first game to Ohio State, and then they lose in the shootout to Ohio State. The other two games that they've played were a win over Yale and a tie against Providence. Now, that Providence tie is good. That's the number 18 team in the nation. But Michigan State beat the number 19 team in the nation 3-2 in overtime in Northern Michigan. To me, if Michigan State wants to contend in the Big Ten tournament, it starts this weekend. They have to win both games. They have to eclipse that gap between them and Ohio State. Because if you take a look at the top of the Big Ten, four teams separated by four points with a few games in hand. Minnesota has the most games in hand over everybody. And at the end of the day, Michigan would probably have one more games played than Michigan State would. And Michigan State would have one more games played over Ohio State and Notre Dame. So this is where things start to get really close. They have to go three and three or better in January in order to set themselves up for a a February that has them playing Notre Dame and Penn State at home to end the year and has them going to Minnesota, which now is LaFontaine-less. So for me, they have to win both of these games if they want to at least get a, fourth, a four seed or higher. And that's the end of my rant. Yeah, looking forward into Michigan State's schedule after this, Series against Wisconsin, they have Ohio State at home, then at Minnesota, follow that up with a home and home with Michigan, then Notre Dame and Penn State at home. That like this schedule, like you have to win these two games, just straight up, like you guys said. 
luckily though there is a, a bye week between Ohio State and Minnesota, but still, it's those are tough teams, and you you are going to want to win these two against Wisconsin, especially so, if you want that four seed or higher. Yeah, you have to go four and two, or at least three and three in January. So moving on to the blank wins of segment, I actually forgot to put it down. Cam, did you save my butt? Thank you, Cam. I was uh, definitely not making an outline during class or anything. Uh, multitasking, you know, that's a skill we need to practice. So why exactly. not? Exactly. Welcome so, to the Zoom, the Zoomiverse. <laughs> oh yeah, Zoom universe. Yeah, we are online for the first three weeks. Hopefully, it doesn't get extended because that will not be fun. But uh, nonetheless, I'm gonna stop ranting. Blank wins if Wisconsin will win a game or two if they do what, Mister Stinson? They got to score at least four. Uh, that's my thing. That's a high bar to set. But I look at their at the six wins that they do have on the year. Um, they've four of those six wins involve them scoring at least four goals, um, and then the other two are Army and Yale, not powerhouse programs. Um, especially considering MSU, most of the time has been pretty good at defense. At least the goaltending has been. So I I would trust Michigan State a little more in that regard. But yeah, I think really that offense has to get going. Um, in order to do it, they have to put some points on the board because they don't generally defend the puck very well. Same, not too much has changed since a lot since the the first time around, where I remember go, I was kind of going extra harsh on Wisconsin, but I'd say the same thing really here. They have to score. Cameron, what you got? If if Wisconsin wants to win one or two of these games, they have to hold Michigan State scoreless on the power play. Michigan State, whenever they don't score on the power play, is sub five hundred. When they do score, they're over five hundred. They win games when they score on the power play. So for me, Wisconsin, you have the worst, second worst penalty kill in the nation. That's going to have to come up big time against Michigan State. That's going to be looking to, you know, capitalize on a lot, capitalize on their opportunities whenever they didn't do that as well as they wanted to necessarily this past weekend. For me, I'm going the same exact thing as you. That's that's what I thought of, and it's if Wisconsin can shut down the MSU power play, that gives them a really really good chance because. They're going to need it, and uh, I mean, that's all I got for Wisconsin wins. If, but Jacob, MSU will win a game or two if they do what? They got to score first. Um, I think they've fallen into a bad precedent recently, or uh, kind of a bad rhythm, I guess, of letting the other team score first uh, in some of these losses. Example, game two Minnesota, game two Michigan, things like that, where they let the other, or Western also, um, but where they let the other team score first, and they are, have to play catch up, and they get close. They get within striking distance. They get within one normally, uh, but then they just can't. They don't have enough time in order to complete that comeback, um, fighting such an uphill battle. Uh, so I think they just got to score first, and they can't. And so they can't keep setting that precedent of playing from behind and just trying to be a comeback warrior all the time because it doesn't work. Who you got, Cam, or what you got, Cam? Or I got one that kind of corroborates what he just basically said, and that's just control the neutral zone. When Michigan State has to play from behind, they play a little bit frenetically at times, and that's when they can get scored on, and that's not when they're playing the brand of hockey that they want to play. They When they look good through the neutral zone, whenever they're able to put passes in places that you know should be made but really befuddle opposing defenses, which is mind-boggling to me, when Michigan State just is able to play the, the correct and the right neutral zone game that they want to play week in and week out, they look phenomenal. They put up so many chances against Ferris that first game. It was not even funny what they were able to do, slicing and dicing through their defense. If they can do that, 
to a Wisconsin team that they've scored eight goals on this year, which would have, if you would have told me that last year when they were playing Wisconsin, I would have gauged, gouged my eyes out. Like, huh? Okay. Mm. If they can, it, it all starts of playing in the neutral zone. And when they play well in the neutral zone, they usually go out and score first, or they go with first or second period leads and they don't look back. Mind you, they looked back last week, but that's besides the point. It's against the team that they know they can beat. You play well in the neutral zone. You don't give Wisconsin chances, and you don't give them that opportunity to play run and gun, and you don't let Tarek Baker try to rule the world. You're smooth sailing. That's all you got there? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That has, I said that in a weird way. I, just, I was just thinking of something that wasn't ready. But for me, I did have... Something that harped on yours, Jacob. I was going to say, just don't come out to a slow start. But you said, hey, you know, score first for MSU. But because of that, I'll switch mine up. I think MSU has to go back to playing disciplined hockey. We've seen or we saw over the Minnesota series alone, they took 11 penalties to receiving five over that weekend. Because of that, that swayed the game. You're you're on the uh, the penalty kill a lot of the time. You can't get your offense going. You saw how many shots Minnesota had in the second game, 60 of them, just to reiterate that stat. MSU has gone away from their their discipline. They're just I that's the way I, I view it in my mind. They they seem to be a disciplined team. They would get five penalties a game, but the other team would as well. So it wasn't like, you know, they were just doing stupid penalties giving a random tripping call to somebody when it wasn't needed against a Minnesota series. It seemed like they came a bit unhinged. So for me, if MSU wants to win, get back to playing discipline hockey, don't take dumb penalties and stay five on five or Hey, get on the power play and score. There you go. So that's the blank wins. wins. If segment moving into the pickums, we got not a shakeup in the standings because that's not going to happen anytime soon, but, ah. <laughs> but we did all get two points for guessing Western Michigan over MSU. And then we also got a point for MSU over Tech. Uh, University of Michigan and Michigan Tech tied 0-0, so there's no points to give out on that. And then U of M had to cancel the game against Western Michigan after that, so no points there. So we all quote, bumped up quote, two had points. to cancel. Sorry, Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. They Allegedly. canceled I, for some reason. So update in the, uh, the points, not really any shakeup in standings i sit in dead last still with 19 points cameron up six points on me he's got 25 and jacob sitting high and dry over there with 32 how you doing over there buddy uh chilling in the lead right now yeah. you no know, trying to expand the lead as much as possible let's see if you can expand the lead with the first game on the list penn state travels to michigan to take on the number four ranked wolverines who you got I got Michigan. Uh, Penn State's sitting bottom of the conference right now. Michigan is very good. They just came out and kind of thrashed uh, UMass, so I don't see why that would change against Penn State. Penn State bad, Michigan good. Even though Penn State is technically a good bad. The results <laughs> yeah, just yeah. don't show it. No, I you see that. You can't win against North Dakota 6-4 to four and then just be absolutely terrible in your conference. It's mind-boggling. But yes, I still have Michigan in this game because of what they did to UMass, which has a special place in my heart for giving me the win last year in the Pickums because I went with them ride or die, but they did not look like the UMass of last year. So yeah, Michigan. I could see Penn State 
getting real close to winning one of these games, but not enough to pick a split. So give me Michigan with the sweep. Next game on the slate, uh, out of conference, Alaska travels to Minnesota to take on the number eight Golden Gophers. Who you got, Stency? I was actually in Minnesota um, over New Year's because I was in town for the Winter Classic. Very cold, um, interesting times. Very, very cold. Very cold. You didn't get to experience that. <laughs> yeah, we weren't even there. I just saw the weather. And oh, I was yeah, like, but there, oh, there comes geez. a point where it's the temperature is so low that it's just cold. Like, it doesn't get any worse. No, it, it was like a different level. Like, I had never experienced a level of cold that I had gotten there before, I don't think. Being outside like that, too. Like, getting to stay outside like that. It was minus 8. They said feels like minus 24. At that point, it's just why bother even How measuring it. How many hot it. chocolates did you get? Uh, I didn't. There was No! Like... None? Okay, sorry. Uh, moving forward, at least. <laughs> I only mentioned that because I got Minnesota here. I had to look it up. Uh, I forgot that Alaska had a team. They have two, right? Uh, do they? I don't know. At least Alaska, um, I looked it up. They only have five wins this year. No point. <laughs> no point in taking them over Minnesota. Yeah, it, it, it's golden gopher time, especially because it's at 3M. Give me Minnesota. To be fair, also, I looked it up. Um, Yeah, they have five wins this year. Three of them came against Rensselaer. So, yeah. Uh, Wait, RBI? Ooh. Yeah. Roslayer Polytechnic Institute? Correct. Yes, sir. Yes. Um, that's cool. Or it's Ronslayer, Ronslayer. Sure. Huh? Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. It looks like Rensselaer. RPI. Yeah. Renslayer. There we go. Yeah. Three of those wins came against of came against them. So I really don't I think they're from Troy. Troy, New York. No idea. But so yeah, uh Gopher sweep, enough said. You have Gopher sweep too, Cam? Yes. I I debated putting this one in. But because it was Minnesota, because it was Big Ten, I did. I also have the Minnesota sweep. Nothing really to say about that. But moving to a more interesting game, number 13, Notre Dame travels to number 16, Ohio State, to play some hockey. Stency, what you got? Um, Got a split here. Um, it, they're, they're good. I mean, Ohio State's been kind of on a roll recently. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Buckeyes take both, but um, these are both two very good teams here. Um, and I expect them to get one on each other. They split last time out and expect the same to happen here. I was just ecstatic that I remembered that RPI was in Troy and I had to confirm. So that's, <laughs> that's why I was. That's yeah. what the fist pump was. Yeah. I was like, you fist pump Jacob calling a split? Like, okay, like, that's interesting. Well, I mean, he's got the same thing I've got. <laughs> I, I can't tell which team is better. Ohio State's proven to be a very, a very good team this year. Surprisingly. As the media has come to realize that, you know, you can't really pick them to finish seventh and then have them be fourth right now. But, you know, anything is possible. But, yeah, I got a split. Notre Dame is just an absolute buzzsaw of a team. And they play close games, but they win those close games. And then Ohio State, it's just day in and day out. I don't know what I'm going to get. So I, I have a split. Yeah, these two teams are very similar in my mind. I was... Feeling like I would go for a Notre Dame sweep, but because it's at Ohio State, I'm just going to stick with simple split. We all have the same picks up to this point. Woohoo. But it switches up here. We're throwing in a non-Big Ten top six matchup. My laptop just almost died there. No, it's still alive. Okay. Number five, St. Cloud State traveling to number six, Denver. Jacob Stinson, who do you have in this series? I got a split. Um... I do that every time we have a series against two powerhouses this time coming out of the NCHC. Um, it's worked for me in the past. I 
expect one each team to kind of duke it out and get one on each other. So give me a split. These teams are separated, I believe, right now by three points. And whoever basically wins this is going to be contending with Western and North Dakota for the lead in the NCHC. But to me, I think St. Cloud has a bigger emphasis to try and win these games at Denver than Denver has to win at home. Just because St. Cloud State, you are runners-up. You are runner-up national to the national champions last year. You go through and beat everybody else in the state of hockey in Minnesota. And uh, you go there and then you just lose in non-exciting fashion to UMass. So I think the, the, the impetus or the emphasis, or yeah, impetus is on St. Cloud to win these games in Denver. So I've got a St. Cloud sweep. It's ambitious, but I hope it comes true. I'm going for some points as well and switching it up. I'm going for the number six Denver sweep. They got a high-powered offense against a good defense of St. Cloud State, but hey, Denver's at home. Maybe that crowd's going to go crazy for them. I don't know. Let's just hope I get some points out of that series. Altitude. Altitude. There you go. Yep. yep. Altitude. Bring them to Denver. Drag them over to the mountains and make the them play fair. hockey. Yep. So, yeah, maybe Denver gets me two points there. But the game we've all been waiting for. Michigan State travels to Wisconsin. Jacob, who you got? Michigan State. Uh, I expect them to have a little bit of a bounce back, come out a little more hungry than they did against Minnesota. Um, and I still stand by the whole thing of Wisconsin's just not good. Uh, and pretty much end of story. And that's about it. I'm doing the unthinkable. I'm picking Michigan State to sweep. Something for the first, first time, time this season. This season. I would clap, but that would sound really bad in the podcast. So just imagine me clapping right now. Give you a thumbs I, up. I think that me actually, you know, manifesting a Michigan State victory might actually work instead yes. of rooting for a split. Um, just in a in a betting way, as a Michigan State fan, you know, you always root for Michigan State. But objectively speaking, I think Michigan State beats Wisconsin just because I Wisconsin's unproven. Yes, you you losing the shootout to Ohio State, but you can't lose the night before five to three. I mean, you can't expect people to to pick you whenever you haven't shown anybody anything. And I think Michigan State has again they they have the, they need the gumption to you know come back after a disappointing game against Minnesota to show out in that first game against Wisconsin, and then don't you know don't apply the brakes, don't let go of the gas pedal. Put your foot through the floor and wash them. Just go. Just do what you need. Do what you should have done against Minnesota. Keep leads that you build, build off of them, and hold their best players to nothing. They let Ben Myers walk all over them. This is a this is going to need to be a different team, and I think that they will be with an emphasis on getting six points on the road in the Big Ten and sweeping, which is something that is quoted by Dan Cole to be very, very hard to do in this conference. For me, I also got MSU. MSU's been good. Wisconsin's been unproven, even though they have picked up some traction in the last six games. I just think MSU's the better team, and they're going to walk in there and pull two games out. So that is it. Gentlemen, you got anything else to add to this lengthy podcast here? No, nah, I think we've ran long enough. <laughs> I'll just say this. Wisconsin right now is the equivalent of putting snow tires on a tractor trailer going uphill. Yes, they've gained a little bit of traction, but it's because of they're putting the chains on the, on the snow tires. They're going up, but they're going up at a slow pace. So 
very slow tractor indeed but that is going to wrap it up for the first podcast of this new year good one a long one i'm done talking now thank you so much for listening this is ronda dosevich jacob stitson and cameron mclaren thank you so much for listening we'll be back in a week see you guys later